0: Hello, and welcome to another podcast for the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health. My name is Niran Ibrahim, and I will be interviewing Dr. Sophie Cotter, the lead author of a new paper on the mental and sexual health outcomes of adolescents following sexual assault. Dr. Cotter, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi there. Um, I'm a consultant pediatrician by background with an interest in adolescent health. I'm an honorary senior lecturer with the Great Ormond Street UCL Institute of Child Health, And I co-lead the Havens, which are the sexual assault referral service serving Greater London in the UK.
0: Perfect. So this paper investigates mental and sexual health outcomes after sexual assault in adolescence. Can you tell our listeners why looking at this issue in adolescence is important?
1: So young people are more likely to experience sexual assault than any other age group internationally. And there are known to be links between adolescent sexual assault and a range of mental health difficulties and poor sexual health outcomes. We need to be able to prevent or manage adverse outcomes after sexual assault to support young people to lead healthy lives.
0: And what have other previous studies shown and what were those studies' limitations?
1: So many studies looking at adolescent sexual assault have been cross-sectional and have examined links with outcomes at a single point in time. What's unclear from these studies is how and when these outcomes present, before or after sexual assault, in whom, and how they progress over time. So, for example, is a young person with depression more likely to be at risk of sexual assault, or is sexual assault a risk factor for depression, or both? So we need longitudinal studies really charting the trajectory of survivors of sexual assault. But young people have been poorly represented in this type of research. The existing literature for adolescents is very limited, with little focus on sexual violence, a narrow range of outcomes, and some studies carried out many years following assault.
0: So how did your study address these gaps, and how was it different from previous work in this area?
1: So this collaborative study pulled the expertise of researchers from several different academic and clinical institutions. It was a large prospective study focusing exclusively on young people aged 13 to 17, We recruited a large number of participants, which is rare for a study of this type in adolescence, and all within six weeks of sexual assault, and followed them up at two further time points, with the majority of participants remaining engaged in the study. Participants had a comprehensive diagnostic mental health assessment, and we were able to chart their mental health symptoms over time. We were also able to verify sexual health outcome data.
0: So what were the key findings?
1: So this paper reports on findings at baseline and four to five months post-assault. We were struck by the vulnerability of this cohort of predominantly young women. More than two-thirds came from socially deprived backgrounds, and one in five had had a statement of special educational needs. Half had had previous social services involvement, and half had accessed services for mental health support in the last year. Young women who took part had really exceptionally high rates of post-traumatic stress, depression, and anxiety symptoms when they were recruited, which largely persisted at review four to five months later. And at this four to five-month follow-up, four out of five young women had a diagnosable psychiatric disorder, most commonly depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, or another anxiety disorder. And this is relevant to one in 10 young people in the general population. And over half of our cohort had two or more psychiatric disorders assessment, so we found that psychosocial vulnerability, so for example, previous social services involvement, mental health service use, sexual abuse or self-harm, increased the likelihood of psychiatric disorders at follow-up, whereas assault characteristics, for example, a violent assault, weren't associated with mental health outcomes in our study. And one in 12 of our young women who took part had experienced another sexual assault within 45, four to five months of the assault they presented with initially.
0: What implications do you believe these findings have for improving care for this vulnerable population? So vulnerable young people
1: appear to be both at higher risk of sexual assault and of adverse mental health outcomes. So there needs to be much greater recognition of pre-existing vulnerability and psychiatric sequelae following sexual assault. Traditionally, sexual assault services have oriented their follow-up support around sexual health needs. This study is highlighting the importance of accessible psychological support after sexual assault and effective joint working with mental health and other services. We also need more research into brief interventions in acute settings that improve outcomes in this area, both mental health outcomes and a reduction in re rates. We need to find more effective ways of providing support to young people to reduce re after sexual assault. And I think lastly, we need greater understanding of and more attention given to pre-existing vulnerability and mental health sequele within the criminal justice system. That's by the police, the courts, and the general public.
0: Also, how can we use your study to help find ways to prevent sexual assault in adolescents to begin with?
1: So as before, our findings suggest that young people from vulnerable groups are at higher risk of sexual assault and a psychiatric disorder following sexual assault. So targeted prevention programs may be indicated, for example, among young people known to social services or accessing mental health services.
0: Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Dr. Scott. Lovely. Thank Thank you.
1: thank you.